0: Starting with Matthew chapter 22, he replied, you must love your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself, and the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. From Acts chapter 2. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the community to their shared meals and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. And from Micah chapter 6. With what should, we, with what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entire burned offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. And from Mark chapter 11. They came into Jerusalem. After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled at his teaching. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Amen. Amen. All right, all. It is, you know, we're having a kind of an abbreviated time together. And so um, I'm going to preach. We're going to do our prayers. uh, We'll have one hymn, and then we're going to break you into small groups. But um, I want to say one thing first um, about doing anything like this in the middle of a pandemic. Um, As my kids and family and as we all struggle with what's going on, there is a level of, really, we're going to do this in the middle of the weight of the world, um, I, I just want to say, and this is not to butter you up before we begin to kind of dive into some, some good conversations, is that there's another, just a very small passage, Matthew twenty-five twenty-three. 23, uh, well done, you are a good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over little, I'll put you in charge of much, come celebrate with me. This comes after the, um, the parable of how the um, servants were taking care of the owner's um, riches, As we begin, I wanna acknowledge that um, there's just been a lot going on in our lives, in the life of this church, in our community, in the world. Many of you are really engaged in politics and you're engaged in our local community and outside. Um, And we have done um, a pretty good job at sticking together, Um, moving through this, um, continuing to care for one another, Um, Our financial giving and support of the facilities and your staff have been extremely generous. Um, I don't take that for granted because there are a lot of congregations across our own denomination and across the country and the world that are really struggling during this time. Uh, You all, a congregation that um, we trend older um, who would think that we wouldn't be able to make this transition into online technical spaces. And we have been able to do that. And folks have been willing to open up. Again, our finances have been good. Our attendance, uh, it's shockingly is uh, between online and in-person over these first last month, There's is more than what we were pre-pandemic. Um, I think more of you are coming to church more often than you did pre-pandemic. Um, and so I, I think we've done, a, we've done a pretty amazing job. And so I just wanna say that um, one of our tendencies as the church is to talk about how bad things are, how terrible things are, how much we can't do. And I just wanna say before we start this process that we have done an amazing job. And this is not about pride or arrogance but this is an acknowledgement that how God has moved within us and we have done our best to listen to God's movement for this community. And so I wanna thank you for that and acknowledge that. Now, again, this is not arrogance. You don't go to another congregation and say, well, we're doing really well. I think while we're, all I wanna say is we've listened and now we're gonna be challenged to listen even more. So before we begin, let me um just revisit a little bit of timeline um, about this. So, as you will know, I got here in April, April first, two thousand and nineteen um so and i really came on april 1st it was not an april fool's day joke i came in the first day in office and i was called as your designated pastor uh what that means as a reminder is that i signed a we agreed to a four-year term as a way to to kind of test each other out a little bit explore the possibilities one of my jobs was to help think about the future of the congregation and where we would head Um, as we began uh, that April of 2019, we, we did multiple futuring town halls and we had some uh, retreats together and I have all that newsprint still sitting in my office as we began to think about how we were going to be. We brought in two consultants, if you remember, Rosella Haiti white came in and hung out with you all and did some interviewing. Amy Kim Kremas-Parks came and met with our adult area education. In uh, November of that year, Ananda left, our associate pastor. Uh, and then uh, March 2020, uh, we went into pandemic time, and we adjusted and adapted, but that's when it began. In 2021, I asked the session to begin to have the reflection time about a designated p- process, about my role here with you all, uh, and the, the Envisioning uh, Our Future Together Task Force was formed. In that time, um, the, they have been getting feedback and conversations. You know, I had my time away during COVID. They were continue to work. They've had one-on-one conversations with 20-ish or so people, if not more, have begun to really begin to flesh out some possible mission statements. This January, what happens now is that we begin with this worship. We begin having small groups. We're going to share out possibilities and receive feedback and have conversations around february the eft will propose uh, to session a mission statement and session will decide on that and we'll be in conversation with the congregation but this will help to direct our future as we think about where we are headed march and april of this year uh, we will uh, begin to do some experimenting uh, with whatever mission statement gets approved and we'll begin to experiment what that might look like here in the long term And then this summer sometime, late spring, early summer, you and I, this congregation, Session and I, will um, undergo some discernment about your long-term pastoral leadership here in this place. So that's kind of what's going to happen. But really, the important thing is to know why we're doing this. One of the reasons we're doing this is we we need to decide. Every commuter needs to decide and discern what its possible mission for um, this future is not just to have a mission statement because everybody's supposed to have one, but one that actually impacts what we do as a congregation. So that's one, is to figure out where we're headed. I think for many, many churches, especially churches that are, are pretty stable, we can start to cruise and we don't wanna do that. We wanna decide where we're headed. And then we want to develop our programs. So we're gonna think about out of that, what programs do we have? and then out of those things as we begin to think about what's the program what's the vision how will you be led how will this community be led and its pastoral administrative staffing support in a way that makes sense for the mission that has been developed so all of this will be driven by the like the the, uh, the envisioning our future team input from you all that we've already been receiving and then finalized by session now the reason that this happened is because I think there are a couple of things. One is people want to grow. We know that this church has declined over the last 10, 15, 20 years. There's no fault to be blamed, to, to be placed. Many churches have declined. But this is a congregation that has said it wants to be around for the next generation. If we take that seriously, we don't, I, I just want to be clear. We're not the church just to survive. But that is certainly an element of why we are going through this process. But I think the second thing and, and most more importantly is we wanna have impact. We believe that what we carry theologically and politically and socially can make a difference in the world. And we want to make a difference in the world locally and beyond. So there's about growth for survival's sake, growth for impact's sake. And the motivation for you and I is to figure out if there is a, a common mutual calling for me to lead this community and for how we will support that now i don't want anybody who is listening to this to start freaking out about bruce's staying or not saying this is that's not what this is about this is about this congregation and how it best moves forward into the future so those are the motivations but i want to give some cautions as we enter this process the first is this we are in the middle of a pandemic and people are tired Whenever I see or hear or uh, witness critique given or uh, complaining or any of that, that we all do everywhere we are, like nobody is. I always want us to also think about the fact that we've all been in a pandemic for the last two years and there is no one place we can put the blame. And so it's coming out in ways that aren't always healthy or kind. And so how do we make sure that we understand that? So I wanna, as we go through this, everybody we've been carrying this it doesn't matter where your privilege or your wealth is everybody's impacted by COVID. it is not privilege has not shielded us I want to say that over the last two years since Ananda left your pastoral staffing has been limited and so you are getting um, I think you're getting competent leadership from your pastor uh, but you're not getting what you could get if you were fully staffed as we're pastors The reality is we are an aging congregation. We're mostly a retired community. So as we think about our future, we have to keep that in mind if that's what we wanna continue to be. I also wanna say a warning is disagreement and conflict are healthy parts of growth. But I also wanna acknowledge that I know there are still wounds here from past conflicts that have not been addressed. And so the best of our, of our ability to stay tuned to those as you have these conversations. Lastly, I would like to say that we love as Presbyterians to plan, to meet, we love process. I think generationally, we love to the idea that if we follow these five steps, then we will end up here. We want a return on our investment, but the most important part of our planning and our process over the next six months will be agility flexibility and grace we've offered it to each other these last two years let's continue to do so so be kind to yourselves all right so i'm going to show you now this is a possible mission statement that some of you have seen already uh, about where we might could be headed i bold possible because we are still thinking about this i know folks like words don't like words all of that but this is where we're beginning i'm going to read it you can see it on the screen Um, Our possible mission for the future is drawn together by God. We strive to be a Christian community committed to disrupting injustice, seeking wisdom, practicing empathy, and expressing the beauty of the divine. Now, you all just had gut reactions to that if you have not seen it before. Some parts will be, wow, that's great. Other parts are like, ooh, I don't like that. Other parts are going to be like, oh, I want to find out what that means. This is this next month. We're not deciding on things. We are not fighting, fighting about things. We are going to explore and open up the possibilities. about this uh, before I get into our first pillar. The possible mission statement, it is, it is drawn. It is, there is intentionality to this. One, it follows the order of our worship and how we gather together as a body. It flows with worship. We gather together by God. We confess the sins and brokenness of the world. We hear the word and then we respond and then we go, right? Drawn together by God is gathered. Committed to disrupting injustice is about confessing that which is is broken in the world. Seeking wisdom is hearing the word. Practicing empathy is about how we respond to this. And then expressing the beauty of the divine is about going out and sharing this amazing story and gift. And so it it is arced in a way that is normally experienced in worship. The texts that you heard today, those three texts are kind of the the anchor texts for uh, what is happening. So keep going Sabrina, there we go. Um, So the Matthew passage is to love God and to love one another. The Acts passage is uh, to um, uh, impact the world and to grow. Uh, And then the Micah passage is about to do justice. And so those are all of those together. Um, And I'm going to walk through these pillars really very quickly. Uh, The drawn together component, it's that call to worship. We are gathered by God. We are a Christian community. It was very, you know, I think that um, if some parts of culture, like if we, let's not, let's not be too heavy on the Jesus. At the same time, we are to think about what that means for us. And growth element is that we are drawn together, that we are acknowledging that, that this is a group of people gathered that probably wouldn't gather together on our own, but God has drawn us together. The first pillar that we'll talk about today is disrupting injustice. The order of worship, that's confession. The activity is actively addressing pain in the world. The content about where that comes from is our activist roots here at this congregation. And the growth is, and this is a piece that it's interesting as we've shared this out with folks, the disrupting injustice hits people differently, often depending on generations, often depending on where you have been in the church. And it has created most of the conversation is this first one. Seeking wisdom, uh, same kinds of things. Uh, The word, we're being thoughtful about who we are when we move through. Um, This honors our academic and intellectual roots. Uh, and the growth is about actually being wise about what we do. Telling folks that we are not just rushing out thinking we know the answers, but we're gonna be disciplined in thinking about who, uh, and how we do it. Practicing empathy. This is how you respond to the word and to our confession. We are building the beloved community um, inwardly and outwardly, that we're thinking about what does it mean for us to be community, not just at a surface level, but to actually develop deep, meaningful relationships with one another. Uh, The way that we honor that is out of our, our caring for one another, the justice we express in the world, as well as the compassion that we have for others. Uh, and the growth component around this, what I think draws people will be that word empathy. What does it mean to empathize with people in the world uh, and as a unique word? And then the last one, expressing the beauty of the divine. Uh, and what is that? That is about our sending. And this is the part that I think many progressive churches have a hard time with, this is our evangelism. This means that we have a story to tell and we are going to tell it in bold and energizing and exciting and creative ways. Um, so that is, uh, I wanna honor how we've gathered as flexible people. We're, you know, how many of you would have ever thought you'd be on Zoom and worship multiple times a month? Um, and then the growth component, why we think this is, uh help us grow is it's about expressing the story, retelling the story that is an amazing one. All right, so that's the overview. You're gonna see that, you're gonna talk about it in your group. I wanna focus on one thing today and that's disrupting injustice. The scripture that you heard was about the temple, um, that it was about how Jesus goes into the temple and turns over all the tables because there's all this money changing that's happening in the temple. And for um, us, you know, as we think about that, I think most of us, when we read that for the first time, it's like, yeah, go and just, you know, anger is good. Righteous indignation is good. Get out there and turn the tables over. Get on the streets. Just be prophetic in the world out there. And I think that's, there's DNA in this congregation. Is I will honestly say, tell you that has been um, one of the reasons I the first place. Um, that's one part about it. Um, The other part about it is is this does impact growth. I firmly believe that unless we are more active in the life of injustice in the world, um, we are going to be, continue to be, and going to be irrelevant to younger people in in the world. And I think part of that is figuring out how we do that differently. The last part about disrupting injustice that I wanna touch on today is that it is inward and it is outward. And um, uh, when, during the Mark passage, part of this, what happens is Jesus goes in um, and is basically challenging us to, when we're angry about something that is wrong, when we have this genuine sense of righteous indignation, that we're supposed to act. Too many of us, I think, try to think about all the reasons why it won't work or it's inconvenient or it will disrupt my comfort or it'll make somebody else feel uncomfortable and sometimes jesus tells us you just need to go and act so what happens in this passage is that what jesus does is he goes in and he cleanses the temple of things that he thinks hold us back the people back from experiencing god more fully now a lot of us would say that is outward right that the metaphor is yes we need to go out and cleanse the world of the things that are holding the world back from experiencing God. Now in some traditions, more conservative traditions, it it is certain things for us, it might be things that we've worked on here over immigration or gun violence or other other things, but it's generally an outward thing. But this is also inward, right? Because now we're not literalists here, but it's the temple that Jesus, the particular thing that made Jesus mad was that it was happening in the place of God, in the house of God. And so we have to think about that. So it's inward, the, in, what's happening in the place, and it's outward, how we are holding people back from experiencing God. That has been a part of this church's tradition for a long time. This church has its DNA in anti-war movements, in immigration, in climate change work, uh, and we're still active in a lot of those things lots of stuff which is great but the reality is we are an aging church we are a church that remembers how we what we used to do and those of you that are still super active please don't hear this as a critique but the reality is we are aging our body our minds and our spirits are super willing but our bodies right our bodies actually are not as able And one of the realities is that the way change is happening today is different. And so how we will grow this church in this element is to think about activism and organizing practices that have shifted and changed. We have to make space for this to happen. If we continue to address injustice in the world in the ways that we did it before, we will soon Realize that we are one not making the impact that we'd like to and two, not speaking to new generations who are engaging in Injustice justice work far differently than we are We may not always understand it. We may not always know what it looks like We will probably not and should not lead it, but we can make space for it to happen my own kids every night it seems, when they're on winter break. We're having conversations about justice. Both of them, as you all have got to know them, are engaged in work that that makes our social justice hearts proud. And I've learned about abolition from my kids more and more. I've learned about mutual aid more and more. We've learned about mass incarceration more and more. And these are things I kind of knew and were open to. But the reality is they have opened up my own heart and mind about what these things really look like. I'm not putting all the weight on young people, but what we need to understand is if we're gonna grow, we gotta create space for those conversations to have and not as ones that we are gonna give approval to, but ones that we're gonna be open to so that we can hear and change. The disrupting injustice itself, the tone, it communicates urgency. I know that there are some who don't like the words and we may change it, who knows? But what it does say is we're back and assess if any of you have watched, look up, or talk about things so much that we then believe that we've done something. What it says to us is that we are taking the injustice in the world seriously and we're gonna step into that. We've done it before and we can do it again. And I will say that it is a unique claim for a church like ours that is traditional, that's wealthy, that's white and suburban for us to make that claim that we're gonna step into that space. Now again, it has happened here before, but not to the extent that we, have, we can do it again. So what I wanna lift up to you as we end this time, as I wrap up here, is that I think there are some ways, I wanna offer you some possibilities. Please hear these as possibilities, right? I know that you're gonna hear some of these and be like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, nobody's asking us to agree or vote or do anything yet. But I wanna lift up some possibilities about what disrupting injustice looks like for us. Outward expression. I want us to see our campus as a vehicle for disruption and build housing here. What would it look like for us to take this property? And don't start thinking about all the reasons why this couldn't happen. What would it look like to take a half a block sitting in 94301 Palo Alto and fight for housing? What would it look like for us to evaluate the land that we are on and pay a land tax to build relationships with our local indigenous communities? What would it look like to reframe this community? What would it look like for us, a church who are, have said that we want to be anti-racist, who have said we wanna take on gun violence, who have said we wanna uh, stand with Black Lives Matter? What does it mean? for us to actually take part in conversations about the politics of race and incarceration and policing in Palo Alto. Not just to go to events, but to partner with those who are doing that work. And lastly, I think for outward, what does it mean for us to physically show up with others who are co-disruptors? Sure, we attend gatherings, we attend things, but what does it really mean for us to say, things that we do to outwardly show disruption is to show up at, at events and protests that are not just mainstream, but are much more um, disruptive to what's happening. Those are outward things that we could possibly do. Housing and land, there's lots of other things, but those will be some. What does it look like inward? I think one of the most significant we'll answer this question about disrupting is to ask ourselves what is enough as a wealthy congregation We sit with a legacy fund that is like over $1.75 million right now. The question about what is enough, if we don't answer that question, we will run the risk of hoarding and storing past the point of faithfulness. Now I'm not judging us about what we're doing now, but I am saying that if we do not have that conversation, then we will only perpetuate injustice that institutions of wealth maintain. That's an inward question. The second thing for inward disrupting of justice is to commit to our own racism and, and that has impacted growth in this area. Now this is, please do not hear me saying that we are a but I will say that a congregation in Palo Alto, or in the bay, this part of the bay that is as white as we are, has to ask itself questions about why that is. People would like to tell me when I come when I came to Palo Alto, came to Palo Alto that place is so white, and I'm like, well, it perceives as that but the reality is we do have some diversity here. We may not have as many black folks and Latinx folks, but we do have Asian Americans in this area. And this congregation does not reflect the diversity of this area or the surrounding areas. We have to ask ourselves those questions internally. And lastly, internally, we have to name patterns of injustice within our own community and commit to resourcing to repair and heal. I've been with you for two and a half years. There is a lot in this community, not unlike other places, but unless we, what Jesus does is cleanses the temple, unless we look at those things ourselves, we will be hypocritical to begin to express that outwardly. So I would ask us, as we think about this disrupting injustice, this is not a soft step into the world and admission of of sin. And brokenness. This is a blatant and bold way for us to say there is wrong in the world and in our own communities, and we are committed to be in that to bring healing. So, the disrupting injustice for us, it honors our tradition that we've had here at this church, but it demands internal work. It liberates our expression, I think. It will liberate the ways in which we claim to be uh, disruptors in the world. And I actually think it's a bold way to say what we do, and it will separate us from other traditional Palo Alto faith communities. I think it's one way that we would separate and say to the community here and around us that we're gonna take this seriously, this fight for justice. All right, that's your first pillar. You're gonna go into small groups in a minute, and you're gonna talk about that. It might have been easier for me to start with an easier pillar, but we chose not to. And so we're gonna go into small groups. You're gonna talk about what you've heard, um, what's held us back, and then how you might proceed.